Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm stand-up comedian James Mullinger and the co-founder of Edit Magazine. This is Mullinger Meets Canadians, the podcast where we meet Canadians who are making waves on the world stage. In this episode... I'll be speaking with someone who is both a Brit and a Canadian. Someone who, like me, left England to move to Canada for a better life. And that has certainly worked out pretty bloody well for today's guest, Mr Pete Luckett. Born in Nottingham in 1953, he moved aged 26 in 1979 to Canada and eventually settled in St John, New Brunswick. Having worked a fruit and veg stall in his native Nottingham, Pete launched Pete's Fruitique in 1981 at the St. John City Market. His unique banter, special knowledge and attention to detail made this small business grow into something Pete never anticipated or imagined, with branches in Bedford, Moncton, Halifax, and in October 2015, it was revealed that the national grocery chain Sobeys had purchased what was now called Pete's Fine Foods in a huge deal. Not bad for an English lad who started off with a small stall at the St John City Market. But Pete to this day credits the good people of St John for his success. In 2010, Pete opened Luckett Vineyards in the Gaspero Valley, Nova Scotia, where he currently calls home. He also operates a farm that supplies vegetables and fruit to his stores, as well as commercial customers such as restaurants and caterers. He's also a well-known television personality. He's appeared on dozens of television and radio shows, has hosted the Food Network series The Food Hunter, where he travels around the world, and today we will learn about the real origins of Luckett's infamous catchphrase, toodly-doo. We will also be learning exclusively about his next incredible project, why the Maritimes is the best place in the world to move to and start a business, and the origins of the famous red telephone box at his vineyard. The revelation may surprise you. I've admired Pete's incredible entrepreneurship and his love of people and his passion for the Maritimes for many years, but this is the first time we've actually met. Here we go. Pete Luckett, it is an honour to finally meet you, my friend. James, good morning. Nice to see you too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've been um, obviously a huge fan and admirer of yours for for many years, mainly because I I copied your path. Um, can you tell me a bit about what brought you to St John, New Brunswick, in 1979? Well, James, that is a long flipping story. So, uh, if I give you <laughs> the kind of the short version, I was in the fruit and veg game in my hometown Nottingham, England. So I had a fruit stand on Victoria Market, and that was my uh, life and my business. I sold that business in 1978, really to seek fame and fortune and to travel the world. And that's what I did. I sold my biz, and uh, I left, and uh, I traveled for a couple of years and finished up broke of all places. And how I got there it's a long, convoluted story. But I finished up broke in St. John in April 1982 with $300 left in my pocket. So 
that was it. I got my immigration actually in Texas when I was in um, working illegally in Houston. I was selling cockroach powder down there. And uh, I tried for my Australian and American immigration and Canadian. And I got my Canadian interview, came up last, but I had to go at it. And then bingo, I'm off driving up to Canada, not really sure where I'm going, but uh, eventually finished up in good old St. John. That's amazing. How specifically St. John? I mean, I mean, it's a, St. John is a great place to be broke. Uh, but what was it about St. John that, that, that kind of, you know, landed you in it at that time? Well, actually, it was kind of circumstances. I didn't choose St. John. It kind of, in a way, chose me. So when I first arrived in Canada, I was actually living in the Crow's Nest Pass in Alberta, doing a whole raft of different jobs. And um, I got a dream and a vision about owning a piece of land, which you could never do in the UK unless you were lord of the manor. But in Canada, you could buy a chunk of land and, and do some stuff. So I wanted to live off the land, goats, chickens, pigs, bit of everything. And uh, I finished up buying a farm of all places in St. Antoine, New Brunswick. So I moved from Alberta and I bought this old dilapidated uh, dairy farm just for a new adventure in my life. And uh, I was going to try and be self-sufficient. Well, a year later, I was broke down and out. The farm was not working. Despite all my best efforts, I was making yogurt, selling it illegally in these health food stores in Moncton. And uh, even though they loved it, I wasn't doing very well at it, really. Not, not enough to make a living. But I'd heard about this St. John Market. And I thought, oh, all my hopes and dreams of this farm life are probably going to go up in smoke. And I may revert back to my fruit and veg game that I knew from the UK. So I hitchhiked down to St. John with a few books in my pocket, and uh, I got a little stall in the center aisle of the St. John City Market. And so in my last 300, I was in business. And uh, with no business plan, no sort of interviewing people saying, if I set up a shop here, would you buy from me? None of that stuff. It was just a, a last-ditch attempt at survival. And uh, that's kind of how it happened. Wow, that's that's amazing. So, I mean, really, it was a, a, an idea kind of born out of simply that was the business that you knew. You you, you weren't kind of thinking uh, this is what people in St. John are looking for. Uh, but do you think, you know, obviously, being someone, being an outsider coming into a new place, do you think that gave you a kind of a unique perspective that made the business so successful ultimately? No, totally. Exactly right. I loved the minute I... I, I hitchhike down to St. John from St. Antoine, and I'm driving into this uh, into this city for the first time. I'm thinking, flipping, hey, this is fantastic. I love it. I've got the old hospital on the hill in those days and a couple of big church spires popping up on the skyline. And then I saw the St. John City Market. I thought, bingo, this is it. Look at this place. But it was a bit quiet, to be truthful. And uh, there were the fruit vegetable operators in there. They weren't doing much of a job at, like getting the customers revved up. They were just standing there. So I thought, crikey me, there's got to be an opportunity for the old boy here. So I, I pleaded for a stall on the market of uh, the clerk of the, the market, the city, um, city operator, and um, he eventually gave me a temporary spot in the center aisle 
which is in fact reserved for the farmers who arrived in the in the summer with their fruit and vegetables. Well, I thought, I'll get my feet in the door, then I'll worry about the consequences later. So eventually I moved to the side of the centre of the centre aisle and got a, a pitch down in the bottom corner where nobody ever went. It was an old lobster storage box area. And um, that's where I finished up. But I made this magic little corner happen down in the, uh, yeah, the edge of the city market. It's uh, all or nothing. You've got to give it your best shot. And uh, that's what I did in the market. I reverted back to my English tactics of uh, the old, hit my pan, two pan banana, come on now, move your legs, your body will follow, all that stuff, you know, like the little shout outs to the customers just to sort of get their emotions warmed up. And that's how it kind of happened. I was upsetting a lot of the tenants in the city market. I didn't realize at the time, but they were used to the more quiet zone. And I remember the guy at the meat store, at Dean's Meats, Billy Gray, he got hold of me around the neck one day. He says, will you shut the F up? Because he'd had enough. He'd had his chips of listening to me spouting my wares. Um, but anyway, uh, I got through all that initial uh, stages and managed to build a, a little business out of nothing uh, in this great city that I loved. And a bit like you, I thought it was flipping great. And uh, people had said to me, Pete, why are you going to St. John? Why are you going there? And um, anyway, I thought it was great. And I still yeah. do. I mean, as you say, it's... It yeah, it's. It, I mean, the quality of life here is completely different, and I think you know, as you pointed out, with you know, when, when you bought the 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 farmland in Saint Juan, it's is the it's the fact that in England to have the quality of life that you can have in the Maritimes, you need to be a, a lord of the manor. It's it, it it's kind of incomparable, and that's even the case now. Do you find? Totally. I mean, you know, we talk about the uh, abandoning the class system in England. It is still alive and well. Like it to lump it. There's, the, there's much more of the haves and have-nots and uh, the, the three levels of class structure. Whereas in Canada, there's not. You know, you can mix it up and go to a party and there's the, uh, we call them the garbage men, but we would say the dustman. The dustman's at the party, the brickish laborers at the party, the lawyers at the party. You're all mixing it up all together. There is no class structure. And that is what I really loved right from the get-go. Then that jumped out at me. I, I agree. And I mean, a huge part of it also is that in England, the second you open your mouth, people are judging you. They're deciding what, what class you are. They're deciding what your parents did for a living. They're, 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 they're formulating in their head probably how much money you earn. And yet in Canada, even though there obviously are some regional accents, there aren't accents like there are in England where people are judging you based on how you speak. That is so true. And uh, and on the contrary, because you and myself have got an English accent, they think, and then my customers thought I was related to the Queen, and uh, and I told them <laughs> I was because uh, that's what they wanted to hear. Do what, and, uh, so they just loved, do what you got to do. <laughs> that's right. They just love the English accent. So not that I milked it, but it's never gone away from me. And after all these years. I've still got it. Even though when I go back home to visit my pals in Nottingham, they all say that I sound like a Yank because they think I have a, a North American accent. I don't know where they get that from, but that's what they say. 
I know. I, I hear the same thing. I think what it is, it's probably because we use the occasional word like garbage can or sidewalk or or trunk of the car, and then and, and that's what they hear. But it's um, if it's true. I mean, you you you've got a milk here, as you say. People here love the accent, and it's such a it's such a different thing to hear that kind of love for our accent when we don't think anything of it. But meanwhile, in England, my wife, who's from New Brunswick, but was in London for 20 years, whenever we were in a London pub and people would hear her accent, they'd give her that kind of, oh, fucking American look. Uh, No one was saying to her, I love your accent. And then we would come here. And I'd walk in a shop and people were like, oh, my God, I love your accent. And then I would be milking it like you wouldn't believe. I'd be walking in shops going, hello, I'm an Englishman. Just because. I say I've actually got curbed in, in the later years by my daughter, Gina. Gina works with me these days at the winery and uh, doing a great job. Um, but she's the new generation. And um, she was born here in Canada, of course, not the UK, although she understands my UK roots. But she's always giving me the gears about, Dad, you can't say that. You can't go call customers, love, sweetie, darling, hello, baby. You can't do that anymore, Dad. Well, it's ingrained in me, and I really have to restrain. And I don't mean it in any sexist way whatsoever. It was just a way of a terms of endearment to my customers, chatting them up. And um, that's what it was. And I still get caught every now and then where Gina's giving me the eyes, Dad, don't say that. It's over. That's like old school. Now we're new school, Dad. Yeah, anyway. yeah no, it's funny. I mean, it, as you say, it, it was, it's, it's the way that people spoke. I mean, I remember going to a market stall in Maidenhead where I grew up uh, with my mum. I must have been eight, nine years old, and and the market trader was standing there, and I, I don't know what he was offering, but it was like, you know, £10 banana. And my mum goes up and goes, ooh, yes, please. And he goes, <laughs> you sound like my missus before we go to bed. And I just remember thinking that was the funniest <laughs> thing I'd ever heard. That's right. Yeah. I, I, you know what? The old lines, and I still use all the old lines, they're still the best for, for, for garnishing a laugh and then a bit of engagement with your customers and making them smile while you're taking the money. That's if you can make them out. The old lines, they're still the best. I always give it the gears. I always tell the customers if they're out there traveling with the the husband, and I'll say to the husband, I'll say, "Excuse me, what are you doing out traveling with your daughter today?" And um, of course, the wife goes all cooey and smiles, and the husband's giving me daggers. And um, but but yeah, all the stupid corny lines, they they still work magic. It's beautiful. I mean, so you, how did you feel as you saw the, the business grow? Like, I mean, you weren't, as you say, you, it wasn't part of some master plan. You were just doing the thing that you knew best and doing it the only way you know how. And of course, because of your unique perspective, it, it built and it grew. And I mean, when did you kind of realize that it was becoming such a huge thing? It, it did grow. And uh, that was a challenge to me because in my previous life, certainly, uh, in, in uh, flogging cockroach powder in Texas and fruit and vegetables in uh, in and around Nottingham, I'd always kind of been a small operator. And um, I started in St. John as a small guy. But before long, inside a year or two, I've got 10, 20, 30 employees and uh, things are growing. My little market stall had expanded. And I was really having to cope with learning how to run a business where you actually have a a team and you've got managers. And this was a giant learning curve for me and maybe a big struggle 
in my life as I cope with what it was like to run a bigger business. Um, but, it, you know, we've got there over the years, but my brother and sister joined me from the UK and my brother-in-law, Jeff, they came across and joined me. That's when we opened a few more shops in and around New Brunswick in Moncton. And then my brother opened a store in Fredericton and one out at Quispansis and um, one out at uh, Toryburn. So this was all happening and it was happening very, very fast. And it was, uh, it took some coping with. And, you know, my b beliefs in those days were the beatings will stop when morale improves. But you can't run a business that way anymore. So it, it's all over. You've got to learn how to manage people. That was an old school approach to, you know, the old days in the UK. But um, it was a, a very much a big step for me to learn how to manage a business and to be able to let go. And that still continues to be a challenge today for me to not to resist getting stuck in to all the details and being down, down there on the floor at my winery today and still love chatting up with customers because it's who I am, yeah. really. That's it. No, and I've and I've heard this, and it's funny. Our, our producer Reese, who's who's listening in right now, he's been there, uh, and 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 seen you coming around talking to people. And as you say, I mean, it's your it's your passion. But I imagine as the build business was was growing like that at this kind of unexpected rate, uh, unlike now, there probably wasn't any organizations to kind of guide you or help you to understand how to manage people or how to do it. You just had to kind of learn as you go. Yeah, too true. And that, that's exactly, mm. it was, uh, uh, what do you call it? It was diving in at the deep end. And uh, it really was learning as I go. There were no resources. There was no such thing as the internet where you can Google any question and kind of get some form of answer back. There was nothing. You just had to really take it as it came and uh, just kept coping with it. And there's a lot of you know, apart from all the joy and the fun and the, the, the special times, there was a price to pay for that. And the price was a, a commitment to growing a business and trying to make it all work. And that price came, you know, uh, the sacrifice of being home every night with the family and trying to be with the kids all the time. I was still, you know, working six, seven days a week, 14, 15 hours a day. And um, when I tell my daughter this, she always rolls her eyeballs because... Dad, Dad, stop moaning. Just uh, uh, times have changed since then. It sounds like the Monty Python skit where, you know, I used to live in a box at the side of the road. One of them skits. <laughs> but it was, it was the truth. And uh, it was the way of, of the old days. That, and uh, as a result of that, you know, life, there are challenges in life to having a great family life and being there for the kids. I was just grafting away. And, um, and uh, it happened. And uh, these days, perhaps in my later years, I've been able to just, you know, switch off the gears a little bit and um, spend a bit more quality time than I ever used to do. I was just bang at it. Nice. I mean, the beautiful thing is, of course, that you've also created an environment and a situation where your where your children and your family can work with you. With you, so you're actually with them far more than. Uh, than, than you probably would have been otherwise. So that's 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 the benefit of putting those hours in back then, right? Yeah. You know, all my kids uh, saw Dad working. A lot of them, when I was in the fruit and veg game, they all said, Dad, I'm not getting involved in that business. It's too crazy. And it was. You're dealing with a product that when you're selling fresh all the time, fresh products, 
you're dealing with a product that's dying by the second. It's not getting any better. It's only going downhill. And the pressure to move that inventory is huge. You've got to be on it to, to make all the numbers work and to make a bit of profit. So so the, the I have six children, and they're all doing many different things, but we're all pretty close and tight. They're living in all corners of the world. and uh, But we do get together now and then. Gina, my daughter, uh, who is my um, next to last, she's the one who's working with me these days in the winery. And uh, she's destined to kind of take over that as I, I start on a new adventure in my life. I've just got something new happening, another business crazy idea that I'm just embarking on right now. Do you want to know about that? Yeah, I certainly do. I was okay. I, I was gonna I was gonna leap into the vineyards in 2010, but oh, let's right. go to the now, and then we'll go back to the vineyards later. Tell me what what madness is in store now. <laughs> well, over the years, I've always been right since the early days of being a Boy Scout in um, as a young lad. I always had this travel bug and this little adventure bug. Apart from being a kind of a, a business worker, I was a traveller, so I've always enjoyed that. And uh, the last ten years of my life, I'm managed to get away for a, a couple of months every winter and go somewhere on a crazy backpacking holiday by myself and um, just go out and uh, toot somewhere obscure around the world. So this year on my list was um, the Azores or the Azor Islands out in the Atlantic owned by Portugal. Anyway, I went there, just uh, never been there before, but I just saw it on the map and I thought, oh, I've got to do that place. Anyway, when I got there, I was only there for a few weeks, but when I got there, I totally fell in love with it. Everywhere I've been, I've all said, oh, I could live here, but nowhere actually ticked all the boxes until I got to the Azores, and I thought, I could live here, and this place ticks all the boxes. It's freaking amazing. So I finished up buying a little farm there, and uh, that was in February this year. So I did get back this summer to start developing it. And in fact, I'm going again tomorrow. I fly out tomorrow to um, to start work on this new adventure. So it's a farm on the ocean. It's got everything there. It's got bananas, oranges, lemons, figs, chestnuts, passion fruit. Oh, it's got it all. And uh, I want to uh, develop a, a tourism hospitality site where I have guests come and arrive at the farm. And it will be a farm-to-table type offering where I take them on a big farm tour, give them all the chat, tell them about all my different fruits and vegetables. Then I feed them and wind them up, and then I, then I put them on the way. So I'll get 20 or 30 people in as a group at a time, and that's my plan of action for my next 20 years. So it will take me a couple of years just to develop it, but uh, that's where I'm going with my, uh, my new adventure. That's in incredible. I mean, I, I find it amazing that, you know, you, you, you're constantly kind of evolving what you do. And as you say, like, you know, in, in 10 years ago, you, you started the, the, the vineyards and I'd love to hear kind of how that came about. But I mean, clearly you're constantly having ideas. And, and, and it also sounds to me like, and again, I don't want to talk too much about uh, the depressing nature of, of, of COVID and everything else, but it sounds like you haven't let that slow you down. Um, how did you kind of uh, approach that and carry on doing what you do with everything that's going on in the world? Yeah, well, there's always ways to, to get stuff done. And uh, I did manage to go to the, um, uh, the Azores this summer uh, for six weeks. And that was a great step for me because it allowed me to um, let, my, um, let my daughter Gina look over 
the uh, and takeover running the winery. So it kind of pushed me into that uh, delegation role with Gina, and that was fantastic. I managed to get down to the Azores by doing my COVID test before I went, and then you get a test when you get there. So I managed to get stuck in and start work on this new beautiful site, which I'm totally in love with. And then once again, I'm leaving tomorrow, and uh, I've got my COVID test done yesterday, and uh, I call it essential travel because I'm going there to work. I'm going there to develop this whole new business, which is pretty exciting. So unless they shut it down, I'm, I'm still there. And, um, yeah, the COVID thing's tough, but, you know, you've got to work with it, work around it. And fortunately, here in the Maritimes, we're in pretty good shape, aren't we? We absolutely are. I mean, couldn't be feel more more blessed to live here. And I love that that feeling of just carrying on and do, doing whatever we can do. I think too many people kind of let let it kind of get to them. And, you know, it certainly felt like a lot of people kind of have been waiting their whole lives for this. They were like, oh, great. Yeah, I can just, uh, you know, whereas uh, you just got to keep going and, and push through. And I, I mean, how do you decide what your next business venture is? Like, you know, the way that you've constantly uh, evolved. I mean, again, what was it, for example, in, in 2010 that made you say, I want to open a, a vineyard. Well, I think it's um, it's identifying opportunities and where your passion lies. If it's something that excites you personally, I could never sell life insurance, just not my cup of tea, because I don't believe in it, you know. But fruit and veg, yes, I love fruit and vegetables. Wine, big consumer. Uh, cockroach powder. I don't know. Maybe it was a little last-ditch attempt at survival. But um, uh, certainly uh, the winery game. I actually bought this farm. I was running my fruit and vegetable business, Pete's Fruitique, in uh, Bedford, Nova Scotia, and in downtown Halifax, Nova Scotia. And uh, that business had grown by that time to three or 400 employees in Nova Scotia with a wholesale distribution program. It had gone pretty nuts. And uh, I was uh, up for a new adventure. So I finished up in 2000. I bought this old farm, kind of reliving my St. Antoine failure. Uh, I thought, I'm going to buy a farm again. So moved to the valley, the Annapolis Valley, of course, and um, bought this gorgeous piece of land on the side of a hill with no intention of a winery, but just an adventure lifestyle move to the country. And uh, so that's what happened. But before long, I'm, I'm growing apples, pears, blackcurrants, blackberries, blueberries, strawberries, squash, pumpkins, and it's becoming a little business. And I'm selling these, uh, pro these produce items to my stores in Nova Scotia. And that was all happening. But during that time, I saw that the grape industry and the wine industry was just getting going, just starting, even though it actually started probably in the uh, mid-70s, by the early pioneers, all of a sudden, there was a little bit of excitement in this industry. So I planted a few grapes at my farm just for a bit of fun. And that was in 2002. And the next minute, in 2010, I've built a winery and I'm opening the, door, the doors for business. We opened July the 1st, 2011, and I've never looked back. It's a whole new life of mine that's opened up. And uh, I'm loving the fact that we are farmers, we are uh, producers, we're producing wine. I'm still a retailer, which I really love, so we can still have a big retail shop where I can get down there and chat them up. And we have a restaurant too, 
So I love being a restaurateur and preparing and cooking food and having a great menu for our customers. So all that has given me a lot of joy and a lot of opportunity to build. And it will still continue to grow, even though I'm doing a little side exit. And uh, that's what's happened, really. So 2011, July the 1st, we opened the doors, and it's been a rock and roll show. It's been super busy. We've just started selling our wine in New Brunswick now, and PEI, and Newfoundland, as well as Nova Scotia. Not without its challenges of distribution. Uh, that's another story, but it's all good. And um, it's a great biz. I really enjoy it. Plus, you can drink what you love. And I do love a little glass of wine yeah. or a bottle. Me too, my friend. Me too. As you know, I mean, I'm, I love your wine. I mean, I've been, to the, I've been to the restaurant and experienced that. And again, it's just an incredible atmosphere there. I mean, you, and you've turned that region into a, a, a destination. I mean, when I've been in your restaurant, I hear accents from all over the world. Um, you know, was that something that... As someone yourself that's moved to the Maritimes, obviously been embraced by the Maritimes, but obviously equally, you obviously love it here. Um, you know, were you aware of that? The fact that you were essentially creating a destination and turning a region uh, into a tourist destination for people globally? Um, perhaps yes and no to answer that. I've never been one that's actually had always had the big giant business plan of this is exactly what I'm going to build. But I've always believed that by, you know, passion, not one to harp on, it's such a cliche word these days, but uh, by applying a passion to a business and getting your team to share that passion. And I'm a great believer of working with the team. I'm not a director from up above in the gods. I'm down there in the trenches working with my team. And as a result of that, I've managed to create, I think, by building a great team. The biggest compliment I get told to me by my customers is when they say, Pete, you've got great people. Where do you find them? Where, you go, where do you get them? I believe that you can't find great people, but you can develop them. And uh, over the years of all the you know, years of slogging away, doing different things, mainly service industry related, that I've, I've garnished a, a, a niche for developing a great team and we do have a remarkable team here at the winery so uh, nothing but compliments but they're all on the program with pete they're all sharing that same vision and uh, which is pretty exciting so as a result of that getting the team things happened and uh, not to say it's serendipitous in the way it happened but they do happen when you get involved with your team and you get them sharing that magic and uh, there you go. That's what's going on. Yeah. No, it's amazing. I mean, and basically, as, as you rightly said, it all stems from the fact that you pursued business ventures that you yourself were interested in and, and passionate about. So, I mean, even though it's obviously an incredible amount of work, you obviously, I'm, I'm guessing you wake up every morning excited to get to work. Yes, there's no doubt about it. Some mornings <laughs> I'm feeling a bit bad, too much wine the night before. I might be a bit groggy to go. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, not everything I've done is always a people, you know, the, what folks say to me is, Pete, whatever you do, it turns to gold. And that's sometimes the perception that I've created. But trust me, it is not so. There's been many failures uh, apart from all the stuff that folks see. But there's been a lot of down times and tough times and getting stuff going or giving up on a venture. I know back in the, uh, it was the 80s or early 90s, I decided to, um, I was doing some business down in Central America 
in Costa Rica, and I set up a hot sauce company probably before my time because um, – or before the hot sauce time. And uh, I'd got all these – Pancho Pete's was the brand, Pancho Pete's hot sauces, and was a whole range of these sauces. The only way to bring them in was by the container load. If you bring them in by just a few cases or a pallet, the freight killed you. So to get the cost on the freight, you had to fill a flipping container load. So that's what we did. And uh, so we brought them into the fruity, all these hot sauces. And here's the problem. Ordering that first load is not so much of a worry, but where the worry comes in is ordering the second load. You've got to order the second load before you've sold your first load because to get it all timing and to anticipate the flow of goods coming in. So that's what I did. I took a big chance and ordered the second container load. Well, I think for the next 10 years, I had Pancho Pete's hot sauce around me flipping boots and I couldn't get rid of it. And uh, so I did abandon that project and uh, it cost a lot of money and it was, it was a great adventure doing it. And I thought if I'd done it 10 or 15 years later, I might have hit the mark, but it was just too early for its uh, for the stuff. But it was a great product. And I was racing motorcycles at the time. That was a, a hobby of mine for 20 years. And so I had my um, racing team, me and a couple of guys, we were racing bikes, and uh, we had it sponsored. It was a Pancho Pete's racing team. So we had it, all the bikes were all logoed up. We had a big trailer logoed up. But uh, it still didn't help the, the sales of the hot sauce. It only made our racing a little cheaper because there was a, a bit of sponsorship involved. So that's one of the many stories of failure. But um, as I say, it's not always joy, and you've got to be prepared to bounce back up again. That's, that's the tough thing. Sometimes it's coming back after a failure and saying, here we go again. Let's, uh, let's take a chance again. That's it. And that's everything. I mean, that's the, the key to the to, to, to all success, isn't it, really? Where, you know, obviously, as you say, people see the successes, they don't necessarily always hear about the failures. And, and, and that's why it's important to talk about them and highlight the fact that if those things hadn't happened, we wouldn't have necessarily learned from them. And that's, that's everything. I mean, I mean, what do you what do you remember about growing up in Nottingham? And do you think it was your, do you think it was your working class upbringing that, that, that kind of gave you this, this, this hard graft work ethic and mind? Mindset. There's no doubt about it. You know, my mum and dad were very influential, and my brothers and sisters back at home. There were um, my brother and sisters, not brothers. Um, but um, yeah, I had a great family upbringing in, in Nottingham. And my dad was one of these guys that rose above the uh, sort of fighting above his weight because he we were born, we were all born in a little two up, two down terraced house, toilet down the backyard. Um, but dad, instead of getting moved out to what they call in those days would be a housing estate, which would be subsidized housing when they were pulling down all the, the slum houses. Um, my dad managed to uh, muster up enough uh, uh, pounds and pennies to, to build his own little bungalow on the outskirts of Nottingham, a new area that was being developed. So we moved from this little two up, two down to dad building his own house. And that was a giant turning point because I think if we'd have gone to a housing estate, you know, it might never have happened. Uh, but because we moved to this house, that was a great part of my life. My dad was a real grafter and it was a painter and decorator. That's what he was, painted houses for a living. 
I tell people in Canada, my dad was a painter. And I don't say and decorator because hmm. a painter is a bit sexier, <laughs> isn't it? And, um, but no, dad, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Anyway, dad was um, a, a big influence on my work ethics in life. And, uh, you know, he always encouraged me at a very young age. I, I left school. I didn't do all my, you know, O levels. And I left school at 15 and went to work in the fruit and veg game. And, um, and by the time I was 19, I opened my first Pete's Fruitique in Victoria Market, Nottingham. So my education was learning the fruit and vegetable business. Uh, my dad wanted me to be a painter like himself. I did have a little crack at it, but it was just not my cup of tea. So I said, sorry, dad, I've got to do something else in my, in my life. So that's when I got uh, stuck into the fruit and veg game. I worked for a, 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 a fellow in Nottingham who had shops and market stalls. So he taught me all the ropes. And then uh, by the time I was 19, uh, I did my own thing. And uh, that was a big part of my life. You know what was a, another big influence in my life? And I alluded to it earlier, and that's the Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts were fantastic for me. It was adventure. It was going out there with your, your rucksack on your back and uh, camping and uh, making cooking on the fire and uh, learning all them backwoods tricks and the forestry things. I love that. And I think that Boy Scout life from, you know, in the what we call the Cubs at eight years of age to when I left the, the Boy Scouts at 15 years of age, that was a very influential part of my life as far as, you know, learning to sort things out on your own and uh, enjoying the travel and uh, the roughing it, sleeping in a tent. Yeah, I love that stuff. And uh, so still think about it to, to, today, about all the good times that uh, me and me, uh, me pals had and my cousin Phil, who finished up in Australia, and he's become successful. We went our separate ways, and um, we met together last year in the Philippines, actually, on one of my adventures. And he came from Australia, and we got together for a little backpacking holiday together. So great to see him doing similar stuff. Anyway, yeah, growing up in England was a it was a great place to grow up. I really attribute that to a lot of my uh, who I am today. Yeah, and it's, it's it's very telling. I mean, that thirst for adventure obviously continues to this day. It continues to to what you're what you're doing tomorrow. I mean, you're obviously always uh, open to new ideas, which is which is a, a beautiful thing. And I love that your your connection to the UK obviously remains within the 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 red telephone box that is so perfectly situated in the middle of the vineyard. Is of course, I mean, I would say one of the most photographed things in Atlantic Canada, if not the most photographed. Um, the point at which I realised that you had this kind of legendary status here in the Maritimes, Pete, was when uh, about, I would say, in my first three years living here, I met at least a half a dozen people who all claimed to be the person who sold you that red phone box. Can you tell me <laughs> the true story behind the phone box? <laughs> well, I don't know I should really tell you because they're still looking for oh. it and uh, could get me in trouble. But uh, uh, the, the phone box... Uh, disappeared one day off my uh, my street in Burton Avenue, Carlton, Nottingham, when a couple of my dodgy mates decided to remove it one night, and it finished up on a container and arrived here at my farm in Nova Scotia. Now, that came about because I was working with Marcel. Marcel is my Swiss vineyard manager. Great guy. 
and he was in the winery business in Switzerland. And now he's my uh, star guy here in Nova Scotia, looking after all my farm and growing all our grapes. So uh, we were working together many years ago in the, the vineyard one day, and he looked over at me and just out of the blue. He says, Pete, in a Swiss accent, I can't do it. But he says, Pete, we should have an English telephone box in the vineyard. I says, Marcel, that is a brilliant idea from a Swiss guy. Now, where that came from, I don't know. But that's how sometimes the best ideas come from your people. They don't always come from yourself. So you've got to be a part of your team and listening to them. And uh, so that's what Marcel said. So I made it happen and um, organized one, my very own phone box from Burton Avenue, Nottingham, UK. And they are. It disappeared and they're still looking for it. Please don't. Anybody who's listening to this <laughs> on the radio, yeah, just keep it to yourself, folks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We don't have any grasses listening to this podcast. Any any snitches listening? Don't you be telling the Rosas nothing. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I love the fact that the most the 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 most photographed tourist spot in Atlantic Canada is literally a piece of still to this day stolen property. No, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. It's beautiful. Oh my god, that's that's amazing! Again, I mean, I met so many people that claimed to have had a hand in that smuggling, um, and I tell you another. Uh, uh, again, this is something which I've heard many, many times. But that basically, the way in which fruit and veg are displayed in all grocery stores, uh, and of course, I mean, uh, Sobeys, but but all of them was essentially inspired by you bringing that kind of Nottingham market style of displaying fruit and veg and that that has been kind of replicated across Canada. Is that, uh, is that a true story? Well, crikey me, I mean, would it happen happen if I hadn't been here? Probably so. But um, all I can say is I love displaying and merchandising and stacking this stuff up and getting the colours, the vibrance, the different textures the right shades of orange next door to your Granny Smith, then your kiwi fruits, and all your stacks of different types of bananas. I love all that stuff. I mean, when you're selling the fruit and veg, it's you're selling life. It's a living product that is changing by the second. And it's so naturally beautiful, you can't help but get excited by it. So I was always taken by the artistry involved in, in merchandising fruit and veg. Right back to the old days of working in Pat Britain's fruit and veg shop in Nottingham that he taught me how to hand stack all the fruits in these gorgeous pyramids. They'd be about four feet high and you'd stack them in this colored tissue paper one by one and you'd make this gorgeous displays that I should tell you, customers were not allowed to touch. You only served the fruit and veg from behind the pile. Customers could not, if a customer touched your fruit and veg display, like pulled an apple out of your tissue stack pyramid, that is strictly taboo. A lot of the English greengrocers had little sticks, and if anybody touched the fruit and veg, they'd slap them on the back of the wrist. They'd say, go on, F off, get to the other fruit stand down the way, mate. Don't touch my gear. And you they couldn't touch it. And, um, of course, that was still when I sold my um, fruitique in Victoria Market. England, that was still the, the game then. That was before the supermarkets had taken over in the UK, like the Asdas and the Tesco's and the, or the 
you know, all the big supermarket chains. And um, so when I came to St. John and I finished up back in the fruit and veg game, it was quite a learning curve for me because it was very strictly uh, North American style. Customers would help themselves to the product. You wouldn't serve it to them like back in the old day. And uh, yeah, oh, I saw the customers squeezing my mangoes, prodding my tomatoes, like ripping a banana off the uh, off the bunch or removing some grapes out of the beautiful bunch of grapes. Oh, it would break my heart. I mean, I'm sure I had to, I should have gone to therapy in them days to get my emotions in order of seeing customers manhandling my produce. Anyway, I did get over it. You must, Sorry, you must have wanted to whack them one. And again, I mean, the, the great thing about Maritimers is they're so friendly, you could probably whack them and they wouldn't even complain. <laughs> that's, that's so true. And, um, <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, that, that St. John Market, going back to that, that was a great place for me to start business. So after all that stuff I learned in the UK about, and then to apply those techniques to my little fruit stand, which grew into a bigger fruit stand in the market, there were great days. And I must say, you know, arriving at a different city, you know, in Canada might not have happened so much as good old St. John, because I was really, I felt welcomed by the public. I really felt at home. They really took to me and uh, my style of chatting them up and um, of merchandising. It was a great place to start a business. And uh, I think if I'd have done it maybe in Toronto or, you know, Calgary or Vancouver, it might not have happened like it did in good old St. John. And, uh, and still today, I get so many customers that arrive at my winery and they're, they're middle-aged women. And they'll say to me, Pete, I remember when I was a little girl, I used to come to your fruit stand in St. John and used to give me a banana or a few loose grapes. And that's what I did. I always give the kids a treat. And um, because I'm a great believer, if you treat the kids, it's very influential on mum and dad as to where they're going to do their shopping. And it's a way to reach mum and dad's hearts. So... Kids have always been a big part. I can't treat them so much to the wine these days because probably won't go down too well. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> but in the old days, yeah, no kid got out of the fruitique without a treat. And, uh, and still today, I get customers who are, were, were those kids of yesterday, and now they're all grown up and saying how to remember and little moments. That's it. That's it. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, I feel like St. John is still that place where, you know, I don't th- know if I could have gone to another part of Canada and started my career from 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 scratch, basically, because that's essentially what you're doing when you move to a new place. You're, you're, you're pressing reset and having to start again. And it's definitely the friendly nature of the people here that, that make, you know, this kind of situation where anything is possible. Um, and as you say, I mean, you know, get the kids hooked. It's why I do gigs in schools because they are the audiences slash customers of tomorrow, right? Yeah. You've got to look after them now. I said I was very fortunate as well. And I really was a, a, a big game changer for me when I got contacted by the CBC back in the early days in St. John to say that they were starting a new national news show called CBC Midday. And would I uh, be willing to be a contributor towards this show? And um, flipping heck, I've never been on the telly before in my life. But I said, I'll give it a shot. So they sent a film crew down to uh, the market back in 1983. 
and uh, I did a little test thing with the cameras and um, and yeah, it just uh, they called me up and, and what I did, I practiced beforehand that very first gig that I did describing fruits and vegetables, how to buy them, how to store them, how to cook them, how to season them, the best way to choose them, the seasons, all that stuff. So I did a bit of research before of what I was going to talk about, and I've got it all lined up in my head. You know how these reporters, when they sign off after their little gig, they go, this is uh, John Smith for CBC. Uh, Bye-bye for now. We'll see you later. So in my mind, I thought that will be my little stick. I'll go, this is Pete from Pete's Routique. And instead of uh, uh, for Pete's Routique, for CBC New Brunswick, that's who it was at the time. And um, instead of saying bye-bye for now, I thought I'd give it my English stick and I'd go to Lou. But I was a bit nervous on that very first day. So I said, this is Pete from Pete's Routique for CBC New Brunswick. Toodly do came out by mistake. <laughs> it was supposed to be toodaloo, but it came out toodly do because I had a bit of a stutter going. And um, they called me up from Toronto. They says, Pete, the piece was not bad, but we love the toodly do. And so that's how that was born. And that became my signature sign off. And it still haunts me for the next flipping 30 years. Customers are still coming into my winery. Hey, toodly do, Pete, toodly do. And, um, yeah, as much as I love it, it does drive me a bit crazy at times, but there you go. I was the one who created it, That's so I've got to live with it. Yeah. Yeah, and how wonderful that a slip of the tongue can literally become your catchphrase. <laughs> That's right. That's how it came to. That's amazing. Pete, I, I, honestly, I cannot thank you uh, enough for your for your time and, and insights. And like I say, it's been a real huge honour to, to get to know you after uh, admiring you from afar for so long. So uh, thank you sincerely. Oh, James, you're very welcome. Lovely to talk to you too. A fellow Brit here in Canada, working your magic. Proud of you too, mate. Thank you very much, brother. Keep doing it. And, and best of luck uh, with the incredible new project. And uh, I can't wait to, to visit when it's all ready and up and running. You'll be down, pal. You'll get the personal invite, but it will be working for wine. There'll be no wages, James. You understand that? you just got to roll your sleeves up no. and get stuck in. That's literally what I live for, my friend. I, li I live for grafting and I live for wine. So uh, you right. and I are going to be friends for life. I know it. All right, James. Good stuff. Awesome, Pete. Thank you very much. Keep in touch. Thank you for listening to Mullinger Meets Canadians. If you like greatness, creativity, being inspired, laughing, or just love Canada as much as I do, then this is the podcast for you. So please do subscribe and review the show now. And be sure to visit Pete at Luckett Vineyard. Check out their website, luckettvineyards.com. Follow them on Instagram at Luckett Vineyards. Or learn more about Pete at peteluckett.com. Thank you very much. There is further info on the edit website, maritimeedit.com. Until then, I will see you next time. Podstarter. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 